Hello, and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to take what gets you worked up to find your passion, reach your potential, and write your own success story. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, business and career strategist. On this podcast, we talk to professionals from all walks of life, all backgrounds, in all industries to learn about how they've harnessed their passion to create success. On today's episode, we welcome Elliot Kulik. He is a realtor and head of the rapidly growing Kulik Group at the rapidly growing Compass. I wanted to have him on because he sits at the helm of a very quickly growing organization within a very quickly growing organization. And he is skilled at navigating evolving landscapes. He's built a team that is cross-generational. And he's also built a team that works cross-asset type. So he's dealing with lots of different personalities and lots of different perspectives on a daily basis. Everybody likes change. You know, change is scary, especially if you have some amount of success. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people, you know, stay in their lane. And so, and I do that in some some areas where I'm weak, I've always heard from, you know, great business leaders that hire people around you that are much better than you. It sounds great in practice, but, you know, you have to have the ego and the temperament to say, you know what, you know, this person's much better at this and, and, and let them really thrive. So in turn, everybody's winning because I, the things that I'm weakest at, they can handle. They're thriving because they can really implement what they're very good at. Yeah. And the organization is so much better for that. We cover a lot of topics on this episode, how passion can fuel success, learning and evolving when it comes to new ways of doing things, accepting change and not resisting it, embracing technology, and the dreaded topic, working from home, and frankly, the benefits of working from an office. Again, applicable because business is all about different types of people. It's about building teams and it's about setting you and your team up for success. It's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. And we are joined today by Elliot Kulik. Hi, Elliot. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. I'm very excited about this conversation. We've been chatting, and I feel like there's a million different directions we could go in, particularly because you are at the helm of a rapidly growing organization, and there's a lot of different things you deal with every day and a lot of different experience that you have. Sure. So very happy and grateful that you're joining us. That's my pleasure. Do you mind kicking it off just by sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background? Went to high school in Boca Raton, Florida, which, you know, my... You're a local? I'm a, well, yeah, I guess I am. I moved, my father was in the Garment Center in yeah. New York, and we moved to Florida in 19, God, I was 16, so I'm pretty much a Floridian now, even though I don't sound like one. Very rare. Yeah. But don't, don't true Boca <clears throat> Raton people have New York accents? Yeah, my daughter, <laughs> who's a, uh, is a... You know, a native of Florida definitely has one, Lindsay, yeah. so yes, I think it's true. <laughs> um, I went to, went to University of Florida, major in accounting. Certainly wasn't the right profession for me, so I only did that for about 10 months. My father was uh, always in sales and then went into real estate, and I thought that would be a great career. I kind of wanted to be in a profession where the harder I work, the more I could make, which is sales, not just real estate sales, but any sales, and against my mother's wishes... 
she thought my father and I wouldn't get along, which is absolutely not, not the truth. Uh, I went into the business, and so that was 1989. So we're, I've been in it 34 years. Okay. Is, I can't believe it. So here I am. That's amazing. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about what you do now? So we run a, a real estate group called the Kula Group, which is part of Compass. So we were an independent real estate company called Kula Group Realty. One day I was sitting at my desk thinking, you know, I'd heard about Compass and I was sitting at my desk and I took the initiative and I'm like, I wonder if they're coming to Boca. And I s- reached out to the right person, which was called a strategic growth manager. His name is David Kreps, super nice guy. We've, we've become good friends. We had a few meetings. I had my father at that meeting. At that point, I had taken over Cooler Group Realty probably for at least 10 years, maybe it was longer. And I had my father at that meeting and he's like, this isn't for us, you know. What about my legacy? <laughs> I'm like, Dad, what kind of legacy? I said, if we want to take our business to the next level, we need to be part of a better organization that has process and branding and exposure and reach. And so we took, you know, or at least we all took the bull by the horns. I convinced, we call them the OGs, which are the original gangsters for the Kula Group. <laughs> I convinced them. And some of them had to take a little bit of reduction in their splits because obviously yeah. things changed. Yeah. And they did. And I think they're all very thankful that we, we all had the foresight to have the vision and the belief that Compass could be what it has become. And I don't think I've ever been happier in my real estate career. And it's not because we're making more money. I mean, that's a nice byproduct. But the people we work with, the team that we have, our executive team, our agents, you know, everybody is like family. So it's really a really, and we, it's such a diverse group of people from every type of diversity you could think age sex you know everything yeah and it's, so that makes it really kind of fascinating because so many people can bring so many different um perspectives and and, and opinions to the table which we're all very open and so it's a very collaborative environment so it's it's been amazing one of my very first internships one of the guys I worked for, he said, do what you love and the money will follow. And it sounds like what you're talking about very much fits that bill. My father has always said that if you put the money first, you never, it's never going to work. So if you do what you love, you have the people you're working for, their best interests at heart, then, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. Well, what's amazing to me is, so I come from the real estate world. Right. You have expanded the Coolit Group within Compass, which is a rapidly growing and expanding organization itself, sure. even just in the past decade, not only residential real estate, but also commercial real estate. Sure. So there's not only a diversity in terms of what sounds like the workforce that you employ, sure. but also in, ty- in terms of the products that you're covering and the offerings that you have to the market. I was always well aware when I was building my career, I didn't know, I knew what I wanted it to look like. I didn't know how I would get there, right? I had the desire. I think I had some of the experience, but certainly not a lot as far as how to build an organization. Um, And I give Compass so much credit because they've really given us a platform to really be the best we can be. And so I said, if I'm going to do this, you know, and if I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid, I'm going to go all in. The Kool-Aid? There you go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I really immersed myself in all the opportunities because, you know, being in the business this long, I was looking, it was very easy for me to say, you know what, 
I'm not doing Excel. I'm not, I'm going to keep writing on sticky notes. I'm going to have manila folders, my pad that I write on, my day timer for anyone who's listening, you know, all the millennials won't know what that is, but, you know, <laughs> writing down in your calendar. I mean, that's what I had yeah, yeah. prior, not recently, but over my career. So I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in. And I had a unique perspective, at least I think, of what all the missed opportunities because of all of the resources that weren't at my disposal. You know, we had a good family brand, but we didn't have reach to other markets. Mm -hmm. Um, Our marketing was good, but it wasn't great. The view on how we should market more lifestyle versus like, I sold this home. No one, anyone who works with us always wants to know that they're working with someone who knows what they're doing. As a salesperson, you're saying, okay, I need to tell them how many homes I've sold. It's really more than that. And so Compass really brought to light them getting to know you obviously doing things like this, you know, using social media, which obviously didn't exist up until I forget how long, maybe 10 years ago, maybe less. Mm -hmm. Imagine being in a business where there's no cell phones, there's no digital marketing, everything is newspapers, everything is print, and trying to get your message out. I mean, we used to take out, you know, full page ads in the Sun Sentinel, where my sellers or would say to me, are you advertising in the New York Times or the New York Post in New York? Classified ads. That's what we used to do. So imagine coming from that world and then looking at the world now. So when I saw Compass, I'm like, oh my God. If I take advantage of what the new technology along with what the Compass technology and then the brand and all these and the support, you know, sky's the limit. And that's really what's happened for us. And so, you know, I'm very proud. I mean, we... You know, we're the number one team, not just for Compass in the Boca del Rey area, but we're the number one team for any brokerage in this area. I think we're the number three team in Florida. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that we could have those type of accolades, but I'm proud that, you know, it's not just me. It's all the people that work together. You know, we have a great team lead. Her name is Robin Rosen, our director of marketing, um, Bianca Angerman, Locke Hudson, who does our our director of operations, my father, my wife. My daughter, everybody is like very important in making all of this happen. It's not just me. Yeah. You know, you just hit on so many things. One, building and establishing trust with your clients is that relationships come down to trust, respect, and understanding. Sure. Right. So there's that. Then there's also observing the evolving landscape and keeping up with change, not becoming a dinosaur. Uh, Everybody likes change. You know, change is scary, especially if you have some amount of success. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people, you know, stay in their lane. And so, and I do that in some in some areas where I'm weak. I've always heard from, you know, great business leaders that hire people around you that are much better than you. It sounds great in practice, but, you know, you have to have the ego and the temperament to say, you know what, you know, this person's much better at this and, and, and let them really thrive. So in turn, everybody's winning because I'm the things that I'm weakest at, they can handle. They're thriving because they can really implement what they're very good at. Yeah. And the organization is so much better for that. So, yeah. How did you get the confidence to be able to say, you know what, the world around me is changing. We're not taking out classified ads anymore in the New York Times. I have to do this thing called Instagram. I have to totally change the way we market our business. Let's jump off the ledge. Well, one, I think you don't have a choice. Two, the old way of marketing just wasn't applicable anymore. I mean, I mean, direct mail. Yeah, you know, we do some of it still because.
because it's still applicable to certain type of customers. Print newspaper ads just were just not, you know, they were black and white. We used to take pictures. We didn't even take pictures. We would rip it out of the newspaper and mail it to our clients. <laughs> Imagine the MLS being in a book. We yeah. used to print every two weeks. You know, as someone who is a driven type of person, I like to win. I play sports still at a very high level. I still play competitive soccer even at this age. And I've done Ironmans and all those kind of oh, things. Oh, wow. So I like to be, I like to push myself because it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So it's not money driven for me. I mean, a byproduct of being really good at something is either in sports, is you know maybe winning, or you know, or at least being in the upper echelon of what you're doing. And in, in business, maybe a byproduct is um, is certainly money, but it's also respect. Mm-hmm. It's also how you feel about yourself, how you feel about when you're getting up every day. You know, do you want to be put out to pasture, or do you want to like push the envelope? And what really is interesting is like I didn't realize that I would want to mentor other agents, not even just in our my own group. Right. I mean, with Compass, they put me on so many calls to convince agents why they should join Compass. And I didn't realize that I would enjoy doing that as much as, you know, that I've done, where I've gone above and beyond. I mean, they would call me, and it was like they were on my team. Yeah. And just giving them things that, the mistakes I made, that when I look at what's available to be able to execute, I'm like, this is a no-brainer. If you do these things you will be invariably much more successful than if you do it a certain way. So staying connected to your customers, you brought that up. You know, I use this term called staying meaningfully engaged with your clients. I would say a lot of top agents, they do a transaction, they're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. At least, I would say all of them, but I was certainly in that category when I was younger. Because, you know, I was doing everything. I was involved in the marketing. I was doing the showings. I was... Um, doing the inspections. I was there at the appraisals. I was negotiating the deals. I was writing the contracts. I was doing everything. So there's nothing in this business I haven't done. Right. And then when I realized that you really have to make sure that you stay connected very one-on-one with your clients. So one of the things that I think is so powerful, and it Compass offers this, but I don't, I'm sure it's not the only company, is using technology to make, so they use this term high-tech, high-touch, mm-hmm. Right. Can you use technology in the background that makes your connectivity to who you're engaging with really meaningful? And they, when you're working with someone, they only care about that relationship, right. as they should. So if you're not connected to them and you're not focused on what they're doing and you're distracted, nobody's happy. If they're not happy, they're probably not going to continue to work with you. You're not happy because you're so disjointed from the way it should be. Yeah. I love that phrase, high tech, high touch. I read a great book by Daniel Coyle. It's called The Culture Code. And he goes into really high performing teams to figure out what makes those teams run so well. And he went to 11 Madison Park in New York City. And one of the things they do is they have these little catchphrases that help everyone in the organization centralize around these themes of what makes the culture unique to them. And it sounds like that's what high tech, high touch is doing. Well, for sure. I mean, I think that applies in many industries. And yeah. maybe maybe it's not as applicable, but in real estate, it is paramount. Because look, this is an emotional purchase, as we were talking earlier. Yeah. It's a big purchase. Um, some people think they know more than they actually do, some customers. And so they need us to guide them. But in the same token, we need, we need to make technology work for us 
not us work for the technology. A lot of times you're using software and you're like inputting nonstop. That's probably not great. Yeah. But if you can have something that really, whether it's reminding you to call someone, reminding you to be appreciative, making sure that if you say you're going to follow up, that you're going to do it. If you try to write that on a piece of paper and put a sticky note on your computer thinking that you're going to call them next Tuesday at four o'clock. So you've brought up this idea of, of teams a lot, right? And you've mentioned how A, you, you really enjoy mentoring. B, you took the advice of surrounding yourself with really good people who could not only excel, but also complement you in terms of their strengths and maybe where you're not as strong. Sure. How do you go about building effective teams? I can only speak from what we've done, you know, historically up until. So I've been at Compass. Our team has been at Compass almost four years, maybe a little longer. Okay. Prior to that, I probably had one assistant. I didn't have anyone helping me in the field with showings or a buyer is agent. We started with one person. I had a bookkeeper that would help us, but for the longest time, I think this is going back more than 10 years, I was paying the bills. Right. So can you imagine? But this is how my father did it. So this is, this is what I knew. Um, I think you just have to start. I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, if you go on the internet, you Google how to build an effective sales team. You could probably read about it. So I would start there. Certainly, anyone who has been in business for a long time, they're more approachable than you think, especially if you're in a similar industry. Yeah. So, look, some of the people who work for us solicited us to be interns. What do you look for in terms of people that you hire? I, I would say um, certainly work ethic. Okay. We can talk about, you know, the different generations and what that looks like. And certainly, you know, the COVID effect. Um, I think independence, you know, we're in a bit of a hybrid work environment. So they have to be self-starters. They have to be able to take the initiative, certainly being organized, but obviously it depends on the type of role they're, they're playing. Um, they have to have the desire to kind of grow and just, you know, you know, it's like when you fall in love, when you met your husband, you just knew, right? And you can write down all these criteria of what you think it needs to be. And in business, I think there are certain you know, foundational things you need, like they need to be able to read. You know. <laughs> but you're talking about chemistry. There has to yeah, be some type of there's no connection. Doubt. There's yeah. no doubt. And, you know, my sounding board and my partner, not just in life, which is my wife, really has a great sense of people. Mm. You know, a lot of the interviews we have where we bring on someone as an employee, she's part of that. She has a different insight than I do. And uh, so she has really been very strong in helping us pick the right people and, and having good insight with that. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny to me because I spent almost 15 years on Wall Street and people would dismiss the people side of the business. They would dismiss the, quote, soft skills, the communication sure. skills, the empathy, the emotional intelligence. You can bundle it however you want. Right. And at the, day, at the end of the day, that's how you build the trust, the respect, you coordinate a team, you get everybody oriented toward the same mission. And so I find that really interesting. You brought up a point that I really want to dig into. You've talked about diversity, right? The value and the benefit of diversity, how you surround yourself with people from lots of different backgrounds, ages, et cetera. You also hinted at generational differences, which is something that comes up a lot. Sure. So first of all, how big is your team right now? So between employees and agents, mm -hmm. it's probably over 40. Okay, so that's 
that's fairly large. It's a pretty good size group. Yeah. And when you think of these different generational cohorts, what strikes you? I see the smile on your face. I think that, okay, well, let, <laughs> let's kind of, let's, yeah. I would say. Um, now you're getting jazzed up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's actually a good thing because, you know, when, well, when I started at Compass, my manager was 29. And, I, and my father, who at that time was maybe 75, so I'm 57, my father's about to turn 80. I've been in this business almost, you know, 30 years. I mean, what is a young person going to teach me? And I found out that, you know, part of selling is also listening. And that's something my father always said, you know, yeah. listen, listen, listen. I love and don't that. always talk the most. And so as I listened to my junior advisors, whether they worked as an, you know, an agent with us or um, an employee of Compass, I realized, and then the, and the Compass mantra and their culture that they've created, which I'm blown away with how good they are at doing that. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that. Um, I realized that everybody has a unique perspective on how, on how they're looking at the world. Some of it is, you know, how they were raised. Some of it is their age. Some of that is, you know, where they're from, you know. So um, I think you have to embrace all the different ages. And look, I think COVID reframed a lot of things for everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, at one point we thought we would never, ever go back to work in an office and offices are dead and, you know, we're going to work in our pajamas forever. But, right. you know, we're all at every age, we're all social creatures. Yes. And I think what we're realizing very quickly is people need people. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be stuck in an office from eight to six. But if you think about why that happened is because... That's where the manila folders were. Right. That was where the, you know, the the uh, the, the files were. Technology so, has changed all that. Yeah, so when you remove that, which has been going on for a long time, but now then when you can embrace that and say, all my files are in the cloud, I don't, I can just have my laptop anywhere. And I remember, um, and Bianca Ungerman, our director of our, uh, marketing, who is actually here listening, I remember when we interviewed her, I don't even know if she knows this story, so about a few weeks, maybe a month into it, she's like, you know what? Because she was in the office, she was in a cubicle, it was really cold in there, and she comes to Wendy and she says, you know, I don't feel inspired working in the office like this because it wasn't anything like what we have it, you know, now. Um, I, I'd like to have some flexibility to work at Starbucks. So I'm like, so my initial reaction, which was completely wrong, was, are you kidding me? You need to go to work. I mean, you got to drive <laughs> to work and blah, blah, blah. And so I spoke to Lindsay, and Lindsay at that time said, this is, I don't know, I don't know how long Bianca's been with us, maybe four years, right? Okay, so four years ago, so Lindsay is 26, she's 22. So I'm like, Lindsay, what do you think about this? You know, she's like, what do you care where she works as long as she does, you know, you know the job, and, and, and she's well, way surpassed, you know, that. Yeah. I think you need to let people thrive. How would you like it? You just had another child, you have a young, you have two sons now. Um, how would you like it if they mandated you that you can't see your kids and you're leaving at 730 in the morning and you're commuting to the on the train and then you don't get home till seven? You know, if you can't thrive in your personal life and your business life, you know, something's going to give a little bit. Well, I think right? it's a very forward thinking that you acknowledge that and B. I have this conversation with my mom all the time because I was raised by a working mom and I have no idea how she did it. It was, I mean, granted, they didn't have technology. So when you came home, you were done. 
right? You right. left work at work, whereas now you could be working until all hours of the night because you're never off and you're constantly connected to people. Right, and then texting and email. And so you're, yes. constantly, you're working anyway, even if you're not in the office. So, you know, finding the right balance between right. having people that work together that feel really happy mm -hmm. in their personal and their business life. Now, having said that, that, that doesn't mean that you should be holding meetings, you know, and, you know, doing something like getting a pedicure in the middle of the day while you're <laughs> on a video call, right, you know, right. I, I don't know if I love, you know, I get why that happens, but there's an appropriateness I, factor. I think it's they, still you know, professional. It's gotta be right. So there's gotta yeah. be a give and take on both sides, but you need to also have the ability to build culture. Yeah. Culture can't really be built in my opinion, virtually in some examples, maybe it can be, but I don't believe it can. Yeah. So I think there has to be a blend of both and a reasonableness for both. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I speak to almost daily who want to be back in the office. And everybody. Everybody. And a lot of people who are more junior in their careers particularly, I give them all the same advice, which is get to the office. Because I think back to what I learned by osmosis, right? Just being around people, hearing conversations. And then also the network I built by being in the trenches with the other analysts and associates and, you know, working the late hours, you know, back in the day and having to scrounge for resources together, those relationships have stayed with me for the past, yeah, you know, you can't decades. That. I understand the application of being virtual. I, all my yeah. calls, and even when we had one, I think yeah. we did a, you know, we did we did a, a, Zoom. a video call because I feel like I can be more engaged. So I'm not saying there isn't an application right. for, remotely. I do, but... I mean, I am, so the CEO of Compass, Robert Rafkin, who, you know, his pedigree is incredible. His story is unbelievable. You should read his book mm -hmm. about just where he came from and how he did this, you know, working mother, uh, you know, really didn't have a lot of opportunity and kind of made it happen. If you really look at what's happened in the last few years, and he built a lot of offices and, you know, the expenses, I'm sure, for the company were very, very high. The fact that he put an emphasis on having really nice offices was so opposite yeah. of what was out there. And it would have been so easy to save a lot of money. Yeah. And I think it would have taint, it would have changed everything for Compass. How so? Because the culture. Yeah. You know, they've raised, I mean, the public now, but when they raised a billion and a half dollars, you know, a lot of money, you can throw money at anything, but you can't, money does not build culture. Money does not get everybody, including the employees and the agents to really be on the same page and, and create this collaborative, incredible environment. So, What do you think does build culture? For us, it's a collaborative environment. I don't think having this very strict hierarchy where the boss, whatever the boss says is right, is right. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I've noticed from Robert is he's extremely modest. You know, he was on track to probably be one of the most successful, you know, African-American businessmen in the country. I don't know if it's ever, but he was way up there. You would net this, he is the most modest and that rubs off on people. And so I feel as a leader and I've learned from him and he's younger than I am. So there you go. Right. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together to live a happy life. We're all trying to be healthy. We're all trying to build families. We're all trying to, you know, have some amount of financial success to get the, you know, to achieve the goals that we want. So one isn't necessarily more important than the other. But if I, if everybody feels like Compass's tagline, and this is, I'm not just doing this to do, you know. The Kulikade? Yeah, or, or the <laughs> Compass Aid. Yeah. You know, finding your place in the world. That was their tagline. Yeah. 
And that's what they believe. So you could say, well, that's I'm finding you a house or finding how you fit right. in this world. So, yeah. I mean, how amazing is that? And and a lot of their their entrepreneur principles, you know, um, are so incredible. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just written words. It really, it really resonates with a lot of, you know, the agents. Well, it sounds like throughout this conversation, you've hit on a few things, but one of the things that's jumping out at me is the focus on messaging and the focus on corralling everyone around the same sentiment <clears throat> and these concepts and really driving home what is valuable to the company, people-centric, being sure. at the center. You also just talked about, it sounds like taking your dad's advice about the power of listening. Right. Okay. Hearing, understanding different perspectives, suppressing ego, understanding it takes the village. It's not just one person, which I'm sure you and I have both seen sure. companies make excuses for bad actors because they're high performers or high producers. Yeah. Um, and acknowledging that everybody's human and we're more alike than we are dissimilar. Different. Yeah. Sure. And, and it's interesting. So when you go to the different generations, mm -hmm. so. I think everybody has a unique perspective on how they're looking at things. I do think we all kind of end up, you know, I don't think the older generation is wrong, but it doesn't mean they're 100% right. I think right. there is a certain work ethic that definitely works. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that the execution of that work ethic can't change yeah. and evolve, and I think that's what we're seeing. So the fact that everyone who thought maybe the younger generation that thought, oh, well, we're never going to go into the office again is realizing how can I, because social media media, and certainly texting is really kind of inhibiting the ability. We think we're communicating more, no, but we're not. And I'll give you an example. So I'm meeting my friend yesterday for coffee and uh, he changed the location. So he says, do you mind, can we go to such and such a place? I'm at the bar having lunch. I'm like, fine, I'm on my way. Now I was saying, okay, fine. Yeah, no problem. I'm on my way. And he was like, the next text was, well, if it's too inconvenient for you, maybe we, you know, we'll try another day. And that's not what I meant, because he said, when you write fine, it's negative. Right. Like fine, like attitude-y. This is like, so funny to me, because my mom's going to be so upset. I've brought her up so much in this podcast episode. Um, I have this conversation with my mom all the time, because she's a very serious texter. So she will text me, call me, period. Now, when your mother texts you, call me, period, I think someone's in the hospital. I think right. something's wrong. I'm like jumping off a client Everyone call. Everyone thinks that too, right? Right? So, so, and yeah. what it's speaking to is this idea that the words we use are only 7% of communication. The balance of communication is the tone you use, which is actually 37 to 38%, and body language, right. which is over 50%. Right, so when you say something and you're engaged and you're in front of them, which maybe goes back to maybe video. Yeah, as exactly. As a regular phone call, you can pull something back. You can see their body language. Totally. You can see what they're like. And so, um, yeah, so that's, and, and so when people are in the office to that, to the point you were making, you can really have, you know, you know, the talk around the water cooler like they used to have in the, I guess, in the 50s, if they even have those anymore. So, yes, I think people are realizing that, we need to communicate better. Yeah. And so what does it say when, you know, in that example, she's being short, but maybe she doesn't really truly mean that. No, she doesn't at all. It's like the dog's sick. And our, our controller, I've done the same thing. Yeah. I've been short in an email and she thought I was being rude. Right. And I said, thank you for telling me that because I need to be a little slower and a little more descriptive. 
So, you know, I do believe that we need to communicate better and certainly talking and speaking and then seeing and being together is, is far better. You've brought up the word um, work ethic a few times, and I'm curious how you define it. Get up early, go to bed later. I just don't, for me, you know, I don't know if this applies to everybody. I've always been proactive, not reactive. Love that. A little reactive, for sure, in some examples. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm always kind of pushing the envelope. How can we be better? And it's not just in my business life. This is just how I'm wired. You know, I think excuses are, doesn't, there's so much resources out there to be better and be more informed. So as an example, the Compass CRM is not, was not easy for everybody to understand how to use it. Look, I had every excuse not to use it because my system was working pretty good. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to watch whatever videos I have to do it. And I figured it out. So I think sometimes there's a little bit, you know, you got to figure it out. Yeah. And so that goes to work ethic. How are you going to make things happen? How do you think the generations are redefining or reorienting? Look, I look at my daughter who's 26 and she works like a salesperson from 50 years ago. Yeah. Because the core foundational, you know, a core salesperson has the same, you know, and she kind of reverts back to maybe some old school stuff. Mm -hmm. Not because we put it in front of her. It just kind of happens. I think in every age group, you're going to have some people who are the pushers, some people are a little more complacent, some people are going to make excuses, some are going to be underachievers, overachievers. Um, I think it's incumbent upon, you know, more established people to kind of do things like this to make them more aware of there's more than one way to do something yeah. and that just because they can Google and research, it doesn't mean they're not informed about the application of that information isn't as cut and dry as they might think it is. Yeah. So sometimes you have that a little bit. Are you familiar with fixed versus growth mindset? No, but tell me. So um, there's a whole body of psychological research on the way people orient to problems, right? If you come at it from a fixed mindset, you're very much focused on the destination. You're very much focused on the outcome. You're very much focused on the result. If you come at it from a growth mindset, you're focused on the journey and you're focused on what you're learning and growth, right? And what I loved about what you just said was that it ultimately comes down to the individual, right? It's so hard to generalize. It's because a stereotype is a stereotype, right? It's not right. everybody. And so what I heard you say is that it ultimately comes down to values, the application of those values, and being hardworking and resourceful as being core to what you value. Yeah. Right? And, right. and orienting to, to some type of learning, development, or growth. Right. I think years back, this is even predates me, there was such a separation between your business life and your personal yeah, life not anymore you know it was monday to friday whatever eight to five or six and then you had your weekends no one could get you there was no voicemail there's none of that that world has changed i'm jealous right? by the yeah. way <laughs> yeah i think people aspire to some of that still you know yeah to get disconnected so i think you know we all aspire to that a little bit um but now there's a blend of both yeah so you know i think w at least for me um you know the journey is you know, when I look at my business journey, which kind of is part of my personal journey, mm -hmm. because it's, you know, because of what I've done all these years, you. it's seven days a week, it's all weaved into, and I, and I think in retrospect, there would be things I maybe would have done differently. Mm -hmm. You know, some of it was just the nature of the business, some of it was my personality, 
Some of it was, you know, resource, you know, the technology resources weren't available that are available now. So that's why when I see how an agent in this new world can operate and operate so effectively and efficiently. So when you talk about work-life balance, they are able to create that in a way that was not doable for any salesperson, certainly a real estate salesperson, you know, years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think uh, they just have to take advantage of it. And they think the information's there either through something like this or, you know, finding it on you know, different podcasts and, and videos. We're asking people. There's also just good old fashioned yeah. talking to people. I have people are calling me all the time for that. And I'm sure other, you know, you know, fifty year old agents or, or business people are happy to tell them how they would have done things differently. Yeah. You know. So we're getting to that point where we're winding down. Sure. I want to rapid fire three questions to you. Mm-hmm. The first is that you know, we've talked a lot about how in the past four years you've changed. The way you've oriented to your business has changed. Your team makeup has changed, right? And it sounds like you've transitioned from, you know, being in the business to working on the business or in other words, doing everything to now having a team where you, instead of doing, you're leading. Sure. And I think that's something that a lot of leaders struggle with. Delegation, how to, you know, relinquish a little bit of control. We overachievers, sure. which I am, love yeah. control. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is at the helm of a growing organization and needs to, I wouldn't say step back, but maybe elevate or delegate? I would say you're not as important as you think you are. You know, you're not as good as you think you are. You might. So if you don't hire around you and you don't get the support, you can only grow so much. Yeah. And even if you continue to grow, it's going to be a very, you know, frazzled experience because you're not getting the right support. And it took me, look, I went to Compass four years ago. I've been in the business 34 years. I worked uh, the other way a long time. I yeah. mean, it evolved. But if you don't hire, the best business leaders have the best people working for them and they do the part that they're good at and those people do the part they're good at and having transparency and process and accountability and a good culture and um, an open mindset will, you know, it's a recipe for success. Here's a follow on to that, which by the way, I love, it's very Buddhist. It's all about suppressing ego. You've mentioned this multiple times. Very interesting. How do you drive accountability in an organization? So for us, um, I think you have to, and I'm not saying I always do this. You have to have real realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. You have a have to have a little bit of patience. Mm-hmm. You have to have process. We believe me. For many years, we were winging it. It was all in my head. Yeah. Right. Because it was just me and a few people. Um, now, with certain types of software, Compass software, other third party software that has test management. There is so much out there that allows you to collaborate Yeah, where you can have a task and you can message about the task and it's with certain groups. And look, not that's not for everybody. But when I look at it and I'm like, whether it's for you or not, if you don't apply things like this, there's no way that you can have a transparent, organized, collaborative environment. So if you let things live in a voice message, a text, which is general, not specific to what you're working on, or email, it's all over the place. And that might be better than what was before, 
But if you don't, if you don't take that from there to the next step, so we have certain software that we use, mm-hmm. and then our um, our executive team, which are superstars, and you know, and I'm really proud of. Uh, I'm proud for me to be able to have people like that and to work with you know such smart people. Um, they take that software and those applications to the next level, and they put their foot, you know, they put their kind of, you know, um, footprint on it. And then we're doing things. It's like, I mean, to, I mean, I'll give an example. When all of our listings, we used to literally print the MLS sheets, have a summary page, which was like a Word document, and every week we'd have to print it. Yeah. And then we'd have to get it to everybody. Now we have all of that in a test management system where everything's right there. They can access it. They can comment. They can look at it. We can change it instant, right? Yeah. Now to you, you might say, God, that's so simple. Why wouldn't everybody do that, right? Why wouldn't everyone use like Google Drive or something like that? But that's not what they were used to doing. Right. So I was open to that and they, and it's been amazing for us. You're speaking my language. I think there's this misconception that process is this really big bureaucratic red tape thing. But a little bit of process can go a really long way. I almost I call it flexible structure. Sure. Right? Have some type of structure, but allow obviously for change, evolution and sometimes growth. people are just, you know, it just scares them. Yeah. Something different than what they're used to. Their old process seemed to work. But if you have no pro- look, if you have no process, that is your process. Right? <laughs> right? So we had a process, but I don't know how efficient it was. But right. when I look back and I'm so, you know, kind of maybe circling back to like why I, lo- I like to talk to younger agents or agents yes. of, is because I know what could have been better. And now when I look at the resources that are, that are the tips of our finger, I'm like, kidding me? And a lot of that is how you stay connected to your customer. Yeah. You know, one part is transactional follow-up and the other part is like client engagement and staying connected to them during the process and after. And, you know, I think our last four years, we've been so, you know, from my perspective, so much better at that. Yeah. And I can see the results of it because of how I feel about the business and how I see my customers feeling about how I'm interacting with them. Yeah. So I'm much more focused on that. So it's been great. Yeah. Two more questions. Go. We've talked a lot about your journey and how you focused on the journey and the learning. How has your definition of success evolved? Look, I think, like I said earlier, you know, everyone always thinks that success is um, just financial. And it is part of that. Mm -hmm. But it's not the only thing. And as you're beginning your journey, it's all about maybe a little more of it's more heavily weighted. As you move into this journey, you realize that you want to work with people that you really feel good about and you see yeah. them growing and how they can, you know, you know, strive to meet the goals they want. Not even just financial goals, but just feeling good about growing in their position, how they can add. And the truth is, as a leader, if you're not pushing the envelope to create more things, even though they might like, oh, my God, he's coming up with another idea, you know, and I'm sure you know, Bianca's probably smiling and she's like, oh my God, I can't take it. But, and I'm not (laughs) saying I'm always right, but I'm throwing so many things at her, but they want to grow and they want to feel like they're like changing how things are looked at. And, you know, we're working on a really cool, um, a podcast that's going to start coming out in a big event in Boca. So, you know, congrats. Thank you. And I won't, I don't want to say too much about it yet until it's more finalized, but the point is you need to push because they want to be pushed. And, but you can't, if you don't have that process and you throw so much at them, it becomes so stressful and frenetic. So I think using process, 
and creating great opportunities and then collaborating on them, being excited about thought leaders and being um, having a great time doing it because we really all enjoy being together and we're all very different ages and so many differences. But we have that common goal. Yeah. Our culture is incredible. Yeah. All right. Last question. Yes. Take this however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Hmm. What do I know now? Um, I think when you're younger, well, I mean, first, first and foremost, we all want to be healthy. And we all want to be happy. I don't think I didn't think that when I was younger. But when you're younger, you think you're invincible. Yeah. Um, I think as you get older, you have, you, know, you have a, you know, with time and experience comes wisdom. You know, and I don't care how much you Google it. At, when you're younger, it just takes time. Yeah. You know, you know, your business journey is a journey and you're going to have some ups and downs. I mean, a lot of this is cliche, but the reality is sometimes the downs are the ones that really feel worse than the, the successes. Like sometimes you feel like your successes are um, a given, like it should just, it just should happen. And then your failures are, you know, just hurt much, much more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you just have to enjoy the journey. And when I look back when I was younger, I do wish that maybe I had a little bit better work-life balance, but you know, I think you have to, you have to grind it out when you're younger to kind of get to a certain point, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that was a mistake. It just right. was part of that journey. Yeah. You know. Elliot, this has been great. No, it's my pleasure. I'm really grateful that you took the time this morning to hang out with us and share your wisdom. Thank you. I'm really struck by how you talk about people and how you are very proactive, to use your word, and intentional with not only surrounding yourself with good people, but pushing them toward their potential. And so I think that's the mark of a really great leader. I'm very grateful that you shared your insights. I don't know how this happened, but uh, (laughs) but I'm happy it did. Well, your journey brought you there, right? Talking about the journey. Uh, Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. And as always, thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. And please connect with us. Follow us on social, Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting. Check out our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us, info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-B-E-C-K. See you next time.